0: Welcome to Pass the Power with me, Paige Parker. Probably like you, I have been curious about successful people all of my life. With this podcast, I hope to talk with accomplished folks offering a bit of their backstory, but mostly allowing them to share pearls of wisdom, personally and professionally, perhaps a few secrets on how to live life fully and with passion in order to pass the power on to you. Today, I welcome Janice Wong, the dynamo behind 2AM Dessert Bar and Janice Wong Chocolates. I wanted Janice to pass the power and share since she has an amazing success story and it all happened at a pretty young age. So thank you for being with us, Janice. And is there any sound bite you want to add to describe yourself further? No, it's perfect. Sounds good. So listeners, the first time I witnessed and experienced Janice Wong's work was at a dinner hosted by Tiffany. It was October 2015 at Capitol Theater, and she decorated the stage with the most exquisite, edible, hanging chocolates and sweets to resemble the New York City skyline. And as we all plucked diamonds from the sky, her installation certainly felt as much art as dessert. It was mind-blowing and delicious. So is that a goal?
1: Yeah, for sure. First of all, I'm so excited to speak to you. I think we haven't met like for a year, you know, and um, it's been really exciting to, you know, kind of evolve throughout my entire career. We first started out with food art on a plate, and then it slowly evolved to being on the walls and the ceilings. But every experience was always different. The audience is different. The theme is different. And it kind of pushes you to really think different. And I'm a person who's all about inspiration and pushing the boundaries. Well, I know you want your chocolate and
0: desserts to tell a story. So why not make just a good piece of chocolate? Why does it have to be
1: beautiful, fashionable, interesting? For me, food is all about the five senses. You know, it's it's not just a piece of chocolate. You see it first, you touch it, you feel it, you tell a story. It's an experience in total. However small, however big, which you experienced, it's all about the pure joy of just really um, being present in that space. For me, that's very important. If I give somebody a box of chocolates, if I handmade it, it's got to tell this beautiful story, not over complicated. If I were to decorate an entire installation and event at the Met Museum or in Capitol Theater, it's also got to be a completely unique experience for the people for the event. And it brings me pure joy doing that.
0: Yeah, well, it seems you're a master of it, in my opinion. Janice is 38 years old, and many of you likely have dined in her dessert restaurant, 2 a.m. dessert bar, which you opened when you were 24. Your sweet concept brand, Janice Wong Singapore, has chocolate sold in, correct me if I'm wrong, Japan, Hong Hong Kong, Seoul,
1: and is it true also in Harrods? Yes, that is true. And during COVID, we had to, uh, so we had to close a few, mm-hmm. and uh, temporary shut. But you know, yesterday we launched ten shops in uh, Japan. Wow! So that's 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 really amazing. Um, In January, we launched Ten Shop in Japan, and it's pretty amazing uh, to come from a tiny little island in Singapore and really showcase uh, Singapore-made chocolates in Japan. Right. What is it you you think the
0: Japanese like so much about your chocolates? I mean, everything. I find that they have the best pasta. I mean, if you want the best French food, you can get it in Japan. I mean, the Italians. You know. So for them to actually really
1: want your chocolate and not because they produce great chocolate themselves right it's totally true i mean and and they do produce very very high quality and the best of the best are there the french the belgium i mean everyone's there in japan Now, right? when you go into a fair a valentine's day fair you have 100 over vendors the top of the top I guess why they really love the Janice Wong brand is really about our imagination. Mm. We think different. We have a very different feminine touch to it. It's about the flavor, the look. And this year, we launched with all natural colors. I mean, we're going green. We're being more responsible. We're trendy. I think one thing about your chocolate is it is beautiful.
0: But then your flavors are just kind of... And that one with Pop Rocks and the one, the cayenne pepper... No, Sarawak. Sarawak Sarawak pepper. pepper. They're so delicious, you know? I mean, beautiful, but also delicious.
1: It is true. Um, I mean, we focus on flavor, but also, you know, it's about the message and being very present with the current trends. Mm -hmm. This is something every entrepreneur path, it's one of the most difficult to be able to continuously pivot the different trends across the globe. Right. And to differentiate yourself. Exactly. I mean, if you don't these days, you die. Yeah.
0: Right. More on Pass the Power after the break. talk about your progression in life I read that your passion to become a chef started when you were studying economics university in Australia and you visited a farm near Melbourne and all of the fresh ingredients in the produce kind of made you want to kind of curate food for the table but then you were unfortunately in a very bad accident a drunk driver hit you and you said that you became What is it, right brain?
1: Yeah, yeah. it's it's really unique. I mean, that whole trauma really um, helped me to realize, you know, what I actually truly love. Although I have never cooked or painted before that, and suddenly I I, I found this new passion, you know, to give back, to be a bit more relaxed about life. How old were you then? Um, I was only 22, 21, 22. Just really have a very open mind about life. And I think the most important part is if I don't enjoy myself and I don't find joy in what I do, I can't give that joy back to people. Did you get the degree
0: in economics? Yes, I did. I did. And so you had the degree, but then you followed your passion to Paris and you studied at probably the best culinary school in the world, Le Cordon Bleu. That's so hard. are your parents typical Singaporean parents who were kind of going... What are you doing, Janice? This is crazy.
1: Totally. They were not really for it. They knew much more than I did, of course, as parents. They knew that, you know, the pay was very, very low, the progression um, and, you know, the income would not, you know, even sustain the kind of life that I want to have, you know. Yeah, they did give me a few warnings here and there, but I said, you know, this is my life. I really want to pursue this dream and passion, even though it's that 1% chance of success I will be the 1%. It has been tough and it is still tough, but, you know, I still really, really love what I do and I would never, ever give that up. Is there
0: anything more specific you can give us on how you went against the safety of continuing on with economics and completely changing your life? I mean, perhaps your parents paid for the culinary school, so that was easier to do, correct,
1: Then. So, yes, yeah, so, so my story is, you know, I mean, I've done the economics in school and graduated to give them, you know, the ease of mind that I have something to fall back on. But I knew I wasn't ever going to kind of need it in a way. It was just really to have the peace of mind to to allow them to to do that. I was also coaching squash. I was also teaching here and there, getting some income here and there, you know, and, and really trying to also make some part time money just to really sustain this crazy dream of mine to leave Singapore for a while. At the end of the day, I was extremely focused with what I wanted to do. And I knew once I left Singapore, I was going to be a sponge to just gather as much knowledge and wisdom as I could. And that happened. But it was unconventional. It was definitely um, not something that they wanted, but it was something that I wanted. And sometimes you just really have to fight for what you want. And your parents, you guys, it wasn't as though
0: they weren't speaking to you. It was just a matter of they thought you were probably making the wrong decision. Exactly. And how long did it take in your career, in your success before they said, okay, Janice, maybe you did the right thing?
1: I think it was 2000, maybe 2013. I think it was the moment when I won the Asia's best pastry chef and then they finally realized oh she's you know, good at like, this <laughs> like, like she's won an award that is recognized in Asia and yeah so, so it took at least about six years and yeah there were a lot of trials and errors and they were always waiting for me to maybe fall back onto trading you know and learning finance uh, but yeah my passion didn't lie in that Good. I'm
0: glad you followed the passion. I know after a culinary school, you worked in several restaurants in the U.S. and Spain. And then at 24, you came home and you opened a dessert bar. So why were you in U.S. and Spain? Was it important for you to be in other kitchens before you came back here? And did you always know you were coming back?
1: Yes. Uh, Singapore is home to me. I knew um, no matter where I was, I was going to be like second class citizen. I, I didn't want that. I wanted to be home where friends and family are and um, where I can really grow with our country. Yeah, so so that for me, I, I knew no matter where I was, I was going to come back. But it was very necessary for me to see what was outside of Singapore because, you know, we are still a very, very young country. We have probably no history of um, confectionery at all. You're looking at, you know, even our gifting culture. It's wired because it's always been influenced by so many different cultures and I knew I needed to head out to Europe where the culture was very different. I grew up in Japan so I had a taste of that for three to four years, of the gifting culture, the quality of ingredients and vegetables, fruits and all that. And especially the design aspect of that as well. Very minimalist, very clean. So I knew I had, you know, a touch of all these different cultures, but what I didn't know was Europe, even Australia and Asia. So I went straight to New York because I thought it was one of the most exciting um, cities at the time for desserts. There was a dessert bar by Will far and we still remain friends. Um, I interned there for a while and he was the first person I knocked on my doors and I said in my backpack, I'm here, I'm not leaving. I want to work for you. And I did that. And it's been amazing since. I did How did you t- single him out? What was it about him? Well, it was really the first dessert bar experience. It was something different. I didn't want to go into a Michelin star or anything that was conventional. Right. I'm somebody that I knew I, I wanted to push the boundary, think out of the box, be an inspiration. And you can't really be an inspiration to people, um, you know, if you yourself are not being inspired. So I felt it was very necessary for me to, to take that first step and do that. And it was funny. I mean, I, I went to New York actually with my mom and we were supposed to come back together. And then I decided I wasn't ever going to come back. <laughs> I already knew I was going to pack for like, you know, months. Right. Um, and then over there, I told her I want to do this. And then they couldn't say anything just to make sure I'm safe and give me their blessings. But it's all very important to pursue one's dream without, of course, you know, breaking any you know relationships right and why pastry chef why dessert well it was definitely something lacking in Singapore but um, did you know it when you went to France yes. yes I knew we had to choose I mean I had very limited time because I know age was catching up I was already you know 24 people were studying when they were 16 right and I knew like if I want to build a brand i need years i cannot just build a brand in one to two years and i jumped straight into it and um, just really i even worked two three jobs at the time yeah so i had to be very specific with what i wanted to learn and pastry was the thing when did you know it was time to come home I guess when I finally, you know, realized that I had enough play for two years, I, w- I was going around everywhere for two full years, uh, working in different kitchens, and I decided that, you know, even coming home, I was still going to learn. I was still going to go out, and even to this day, I'm pushing myself every day to learn new things all the time, and it never stopped. I mean, in 14 years now, 2 am dessert bar is 14, but... Every single day, we're still pushing it. Well, I know before the pandemic, you were traveling quite a bit. Yes.
0: So I guess to have you home, you've really, really been able to focus on the business. And I wonder how much technology plays into making chocolates
1: huge and the future is huge for that and my new focus is all about that um, technology and chocolate and i mean in the past you you really have you know um, the traditional ways of making it you know that and you keep that dear to you but you've really got to pivot with the way people think and what the millennials want as well and what gets to them so yes we're putting a lot of our resources back into that i started a lab in 2011 to really focus on research and development. And due to the pandemic, I'm not moving anywhere. So a lot of my resources are back here. My time is here, my talent and people are here. So we're going to focus on that. And when we say technology, with food, it's really not just, you know, the, the way you purchase something. It's not just the way, you know, machines and robotic arms are making things. But also in terms of curating the entire full experience from a touchpad, phone, all the way to where it's being made. So, yes, we are slowly curating the experience. But, um, yeah, exciting things ahead.
0: Well, good. We look forward. Before we proceed, let's take a quick break. As a female chef, I wonder if you faced insults, bad attitudes due to your gender, and has it changed
1: in the 14 years? For sure. Not so much in Singapore. I remember when I was working overseas, lots and lots of uh, male-dominated kitchens. Kitchens
0: tend to be male-dominated, but pastry chefs often are female. It's
1: true, but they're never really at the top. So if you see the stats that, you know, Executive chefs are mainly male chefs, and it's true to lead a big team and and to do that somehow it's always been male dominated. But I like to think different now, it's definitely uh, a lot better, and especially in Singapore as well. And you see more and more female chefs uh, leading the way in the hotel kitchens, which is very rare that you see that in 10 years ago. But yes, it's been tough. I mean, we've had, I've had. You know some of these remarks and a lot of people the general comment will be yeah she wouldn't last more than two years or three years and that was when I was 24 and I mean when you see someone pursuing their passion usually the usual remark would be yeah it's gonna be you know it's just a passion project but yes I think with with sheer determination and I see myself as a very important role in Singapore to be an inspiration it's only because we've got that 14 years to tell those stories of what we've been through and we're just not starting out, but it can happen and you can pursue your dream, however much the odds are against you and still consistently be sustainable in your business. Well, I think that would probably be the
0: ultimate luxury for most people is to be able to have that passion project and that is your work. you know, that's what everybody aspires to. So I'm a loyal customer and I find myself in the basement of Paragon, often buying chocolates for my family and as gifts for friends. How many stores do you have in Singapore
1: and how do you decide where to go next? So we have three. I mean, we have two AM our Holland Village, and we've also got Paragon at Basement One and Raffle City at Basement One. We were in Changi Airport, and I think due to the pandemic, we, we moved out of there. But yeah, it's really about you know the current situation, the the culture and the trends. And now we are on about seven to eight different online platforms mm-hmm. that are doing really well. And online uh, in Singapore, online in Singapore, and we're three online in Japan. So, for example, we're on GrabMot, which I never, ever thought that we would ever be on GrabMot. But it proves that, you know, habits are really changing. And we've got to really be very aware of where we open and how we even sell our products to people.
0: Right. Do you have any new ideas or concepts or collabs that
1: are in the works right now? Well, currently, I'm very focused on Japan. We also do have a pop-up in Haneda Airport, which came to us as a complete surprise that Japan Airport Terminal wants to open a Janice Wong shop. And I've not really... um, Thought much about it yet, but now I do, and it's completely overwhelming to even be picked. So, yes, my focus right now is fully on Japan with 10 stores all across Japan from Daimaru in Hokkaido to your Ikebukuro in Seibu in, Ce- in Ikebukuro, and it's, it's just been really overwhelming. And the Singapore market is very exciting. Like I said, this is home for me, and this year I'm putting a lot of my resources back into research and technology, giving back to our society and being responsible with how we choose our ingredients, how we choose our packaging, and especially caring for the environment.
0: I wanted to talk to you about the movie, actually the documentary, Adelingi and the Cakes of Versailles, where celebrity chef Adelingi assembled the world's most innovative pastry and dessert chefs to create a Versailles-themed culinary gala at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. I mean, it's such a big deal. And... I watched it and you're in it and I was so impressed and proud of you for you to be tapped. I feel like it's such a feather in the cap for Singapore and for you. Could you tell us how did that come to be and when called you? Did you like, is this a joke? (laughs) Desserts in the Met? This is crazy.
1: I mean, for sure. uh, That that year, I remember it was a lot of things going on. So what year was it? 2018 when the email came and we shot it in 2019 it came out in 20 right yeah and and i remember that year as well i was meant to go to la to also shoot for a program um sugar rush i think on netflix but i couldn't get my business visa Oh, no. Due to the Trump administration oh, <laughs> shutdown, so yeah, that was one of those things. But it was like one bad thing after the other, and when this email came out, like so, it was an email. So? Yeah, and and are you are you serious? You know, I mean, already I had a lot of you know opportunities, but I couldn't fulfill them. You see, so when this came, I said yes, but. I always had this thing in my head, like, okay, maybe, you know, I couldn't go to New York just because it was so chaotic there. But, you know, it happened. And obviously, my response was a straight yes, because I love Otto Langi. We met 10 years ago at the Sydney Bridge because we did an event together for the Sydney Food Festival. And uh, at the time, he was just really starting out, you know, and then his food was just amazing. Very, very honest. I always felt his food was all about flavor and honesty. And um, it's well-loved by so many people across the globe. Yeah, so, so I'm a fan of him, and I knew some of the pastry chefs, like Dinara, and I'm a fan of her, and I was like, yeah, for sure, this would be an amazing opportunity to just really be together with the rest of the talent and um, inspire one another. your display showcase the gardens of Versailles?
0: Mm-hmm. And it was stunning. Guys, if you have not watched this, please, you have to, to go on Netflix and watch. Or it's not Netflix. It's uh, currently right now on Apple. Yeah. Uh, no, Amazon. Amazon. Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. And I know that you spent time in Versailles when you studied in France. And so I know that was comforting for you because you were able. So was that part of your willingness to say yes, because you thought, I can do this? And did you know when you went there? As soon as like this
1: idea came to your head, did you know it was going to be the gardens? Yeah, it was a very, very stressful time because when a project like this comes, because the expectations are so high of yourself to the project it's not so much of the people they don't know you yet you know and they haven't seen your installations but because you know it's at the Met and I love the Met I go there you know as a kid and I get so inspired you know so there was a lot of pressure on myself to do well and I took a really long time I mean with projects like the one you experienced at Tiffany it was almost instantaneous because it was very comfortable for me to deliver when I don't have pressure added on me, on myself. And of course, you know, I had to travel with my equipment and my paint brushes and stuff like that. So that added more pressure because I couldn't do huge wall art. Mm -hmm. So there was a certain scale that you had to deal with. Yeah, I was limited to about two meters. I wanted to do a huge wall, a garden wall, uh, fully edible. But the mat was like, no, 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 you can't do that. It's got to be flat on the table. So so it had its limitations. And I knew I wanted to just put through something very modern. I wasn't going to go with, you know, a swan or, or crook and bush or like, you know, one of those traditional... But there was uh, a swan, right? Um, yeah, but it's really Dominic Ansel's style. and And there was a good mix of talent in there. For me, it was all about colors, modernity, but telling the story... And when I was at Versailles, it was opulent, it was beautiful, but most of all, it was still relevant till today. And sometimes it's really hard to bring relevance into, into your piece of work. So that for me was very important. What did you gain from the other chefs who were
0: there? I mean, I have dined when I lived in New York and, and when I go back, I love Danielle and the desserts there is amazing. And I know the pastry chef from, yeah, from Danielle yeah, was there was really and I mean, they were all premier chefs. So
1: what was your takeaway? What did you learn from them or did you have time? Yeah, we did. I mean, definitely bonded. Um, so I continued my relationship with Bumpus and Par and we brought them over to Singapore last year in one of our high tea sets. And it was really good. I mean, for us as pastry chefs, it's To inspire each other, you know, in one way or the other. And when we bring that back to our own countries, uh, we deliver that experience to our tables. And I did that through one of our high tea in 2AM dessert bar. We did a, a Cakes of Versailles high tea. And we brought Dinara with her cake, kind of replicated that cake, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Bompers and Par jellies. So that was really, really fun. It was fun for everybody. I think we did about four to 500 covers. Wow. Or even 600 covers. I, I don't remember. So the Met was the four. catalyst for your high tea menu. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that was really amazing. So it's just all about having fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember even Otto Lengi thought I was crazy to do all that again, all that work again in Singapore. But he fully supported it. He was so excited. Did you have a favorite display? Are you allowed to say? Well, I, I like the mix of it. I mean, I really like what Bumpus and Par did. It's so quirky, you know. And Dinara you know, is all about her, her modern modes. I mean... Who would ever just put a cake out there that's just all white? Right. With no decorations at all. And it was all the intricate details in the mold. It was modernity hundred percent far, far futuristic. Is she
0: the one that uses the three D?
1: Exactly. Oh, she does. Yeah, Yeah. and it's so modern and, and minimalist and that for me was amazing. So how does it work when you do 3D with pastries? Well, you you take technology what has already been developed, which is you know 3D printing. Instead of you know printing with plastic, now you can print with different types of materials. You can mold it. So I I print let's say this cup and and then I set it into a silicone mold, and I can start pouring my my cakes into them. Um, So we've been doing that quite a bit as well. The koi fishes that you see uh, for our Chinese New Year decorations, they are using technology as well. We basically mow them.
0: I know in the fine dining world, there are Michelin stars. Is there anything like that in the pastry world? How do you reach the top?
1: Not yet. And honestly, you don't really, really reach the top because like the Japanese, you never attain the, the level of perfection and you don't want to do that. But yes, it's not been really recognized. We don't have an award system like the Michelin stars. And all we do is just, you know, we we make cakes, we make nice sweet things and confectionaries, but it's different. I think the recognition is completely different.
0: So I guess for someone, if that's important, they would need to work in a restaurant that was going to garner the three stars. And obviously the pastry would be a part of it. The desserts would be a part. Pass the Power will continue after the break. You also try dim sum? Yes, I did. And tell us about that.
1: I mean, in my entire career, I'm always learning new things, and and Chinese cuisine was something that that I always thought was completely underrated. I mean, it's unappreciated in a way that, I mean, you have pastas at thirty dollars, and then you have your tangyong men, which is like beef noodles, for six dollars. We make pasta, we make noodles; it's the same technique, and you know. Tomato sauce and beef sauce, the same thing as well. But you know, it, the Chinese cuisine has always had this thing where it's you know cheap. Mm-hmm. And it's so much about the technique that goes into it. And it's a vast, vast amount of knowledge. And it's not been written. So when I saw that seven years ago, I think I, it was even in 2010 now uh, where I wrote the book, co wrote the book, uh, Dim Sum, with Dim Sum Chef as well. And I said, we've got to put this in English. You know, we have to make sure that people know the different starches. And that's why some dumplings are transparent. Some are matte, Some you can actually keep it crispy. So it's all in the flour and non-flour dim sums as well. So we wrote a book out of that. But there's so much more depth to it. And uh, it really intrigued me, even to this day. Mm -hmm. How long were you serving them? I was doing it for three years, but my research went on for two years for the book. Mm-hmm. And that was that's still a very important part in my life because I'm Chinese. Will they continue? They will definitely continue. We were working with the Basque Culinary Center where they sent um, someone for three months here to really research with us the different techniques of dim sum. And I mean, due to COVID, we can't do a lot of that, but... For sure, this has to continue. You talked about
0: spending some time in Japan when you were younger, and you were in Australia for university, and then you were in France, and you were in Europe, and you were in the US. So I wonder how your travels have shaped your confectionery creations on a broader level.
1: I think for sure, it's very important that I acknowledge the fact that I've been very, very blessed to be given this opportunity to even travel. And it has definitely given me this catalyst to even think different experience different cultures and I knew in my personality and my person as, as myself that I was very sensitive to my surroundings and being very respectful in every culture that I'm in so even if I was moving around a lot with my parents when I'm in Japan I respect their culture and I kind of be like them so I'm not jumping cue you know and spitting around you know and stuff it's, it's different you're kind of part of their culture and you got to respect that and it's played a huge part of my life because I'm able to really be in touch of what culture means to other people and hearing their stories. And now when I see culture, it's about sounds, music, food, and color. And all these are a huge inspiration to my creations as well and how I think. So when I think about trends, it's not just Singapore. It's got to be global. We're super interconnected, and it's just so important to be uh, fully aware of what's going on. Right.
0: Well, I know here locally you have like the gula the malaka, and there are a few that are, I feel like, pretty Singapore centric. So, do you also have some flavors in Japan which are?
1: Yeah, so for Japan, it's all Japanese flavors as well. A touch of Singapore flavors we have, uh, but, you know, we do a lot of Japanese flavors. Like we use their shancho pepper, uh, we use their rose oils, and there's all these hojicha, green tea, you know. And it's just amazing. So for sure, it's very important. What Singapore flavor does the best there? The gula melaka panda. Somehow... Chappies kind of really like the pandan flavor. Um, So so I'm really happy about that. I wonder sometimes if a larger city,
0: London or Paris or New York, would be a better location for you to be inspired for your creations. I know you said you always knew you wanted to come home, but I guess it's your travels that allow you to kind of have your soul fed. Might you find another city to... To move I'm glad to. you two think I'm young. <laughs> but
1: yes, uh, this is definitely true. I mean, once we integrate more technology into what we do, we can definitely cross borders easily. And I do appreciate, you know, the, the people over there. And these are also the cities, uh, the cosmopolitan cities uh, that really pushes you to achieve better because they have very high expectations of Asians uh, coming through their borders and setting up restaurants or businesses in their country. And you really have to bring your A-game there. And the
0: competition is fierce. It's fierce, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I know you're famous for working 18-hour days. So yeah. do you have a social life or a private life? Do you exercise? What do you do outside
1: of work? Well, thanks to COVID, um, I'm kind of, I have a routine now, which is fantastic. And yes, I do quite a bit of yoga. But now it's it's a bit different this year as we are really generating a lot more content for our business. So just doing a lot more of these cooking shows, webinars. I know I'm doing a new cooking show very shortly, and um, it's, it's for Channel 8, it's a new baking show. So I look forward to baking with everybody um, in Singapore. During the lockdown, during Circuit Breaker, I was
0: back in the kitchen and I've always baked with my kids. That's like one of those things that's easy for a mom to do, but I wasn't cooking as much and I went back to the kitchen. So I'm sure you're going to have people who love to follow. So can we talk about mentorship and internships for
1: people who are interested in this kind of life? What are the options for them? Well, it's very important to identify uh, who inspires you. That's the first step. Um, and then and then reach out or look to them or, or just being around their surroundings and it's very important to to connect. I think if once you have identified that, you can really move forward and push yourself towards that goal of yours. And for me, my mentors were very different from fashion to, you know, culinary to architects as well. I still have mentors and it's very important to look up to people. The options are really now very vast, it's great because we're so interconnected. I have people reaching out to me even on Instagram, and I reach out to other people on Instagram saying, hey, do you want to do a collab together? So it's it's very easy now. A
0: 16-year-old here, 20-year-old, they just show up with a backpack and say, I'm not going to
1: leave? Well, we don't have the 16-year-olds yet, but we recently just took a new intern, and she's uh, 31. She gave up her banking life, and she is going to Cordon Bleu in Paris. Um, she wasn't. She is inspired by me, and uh, now she works in the kitchen with me for free. So we just took in, but I see a lot of similarities and I knew it's time to also give back uh, that opportunity because had I had this mentor that would also teach me how to do the business side of things, that would have been fantastic for me. Well, living in the world of chocolate, I doubt chocolate is your guilty pleasure. What is? it is um I I can't live a day without it I mean I just really can this is something that I truly love we'll be right back after the quick break
0: tell us I know you also are an artist so that happened about the same time. I know you said in, up until
1: the age of 21, yes, you weren't painting. Am. And due to COVID, I started painting a lot more. Now I do have a up-and-coming website. It's janicewong.art. So that's a lot of paintings that I have on their website as well. Um, I've never really you know shared it with the public, but it's kind of like something that I have an outlet to express and it's for myself and uh, I paint so much for our business, for work, for travel and in the museums, but never for myself. And I think due to the lockdown, I started painting for charity. That was the first thing, my first few pieces in the lockdown was all for charity. And we raised about, you know, 10,000 per piece. And, and then I decided I've not even had a own painting for myself. And I decided to put that all back into doing something for myself. Good. You need to. Can
0: you give me a silver lining from the pandemic?
1: Well, you know, what's really important about that is to really always see the bigger picture. You know, life goes on as that. And one of the most important things for me was to be very grounded and uh, know my values. And uh, that was family. For me, it was um, truly uh, my family. It meant everything to me and it still is. And without it, I I wouldn't be where I am. Um, So when I say family, it's not just only my own family, but also my family at work. Right. Do you think that failure is a bad thing?
0: And can you give us an example of a failure in your life that you overcame?
1: On the contrary, I actually love failures. Um, I embrace them, you know, and and as hard as it is, it's so important to embrace failures because when you get out of it and you take the next step, it builds you, and I say it to every entrepreneur. And my giveaway was um, to embrace failures. It's not easy at all to do that. Can you give us specific failure in your life? I think one of the main thing was you know in Japan when we had to switch partners, we closed our shop in Shinjuku because you know the Olympics was coming, and uh, we bid it for the place again, and we didn't we didn't win it. So. Yes, I was super disappointed to be out of that space, but I, I kept trying to see new light in it. And uh, it was only after months after, and then I finally saw new light and I picked myself up again. I said, okay, we're going to do this again. We're going to, we're going to build our brand. We're going to take back all rights. We're going to build Janice Wong Japan company in, in Japan. Uh, we still have a huge following, so we're going to do this. And it worked towards our favor very blessed because you know things got postponed and now we have more control over what we do and so, now you have 10 stores yes so yeah but i mean it didn't start out with uh, you know i mean i could have just failed and come back to singapore and say okay i quit i quit japan but it's still tough i mean even with 10 stores it's still tough What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done in your life? Out of work, I hike in my past. uh, Before being a chef, I used to hike a lot. And and one of the most adventurous things was taking a canoe out in uh, Sweden and just canoe into the open. It was stupid. It was really, (laughs) really stupid. Uh, I was with my best friend and just canoed out into the open sea without knowing which island was ours and returning to it. So I think that was far still the most memorable super crazy thing. super crazy super crazy but you you made it back to the island yeah but sometimes you know you do need that little bit of craziness in your life yeah. agree three things you cannot live without chocolate uh, <laughs> for sure i would say my unfortunately my phone i just love information and um i would say god for sure yeah. a cause that's important to you Uh, Giving back. Giving back to society. It's what I live for. And you're currently reading or watching? I am... What am I watching now? I would say uh, Bridgerton. (laughs) Bridgerton. I find myself fast-forwarding through much of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's... No, I love it. What did you learn the hard way? Building things with my two hands, uh, myself, and um, just not listening. And this was all when I was 24. Your favorite drink, and who, dead or alive... Would you love house. to share it with. For me, it's always the go-to drink is whiskey. Oh. Uh, Japanese whiskey? I still favor the Macallan 12 double cast. Oh, wow. Very specific. <laughs> so, I like that. Yeah. It's, it's like my relaxation thing. Yes. yes. And so, you share it with who? Nobody. Darryl. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. Just me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I've, I've learned to, growing up now, I'm 38. You know, I've learned to give, this year, especially last year, I've learned to really give myself more. I think that is the thing that I I stopped, and so I think it's very important to finally find time for yourself. Well, I think everybody understands now that there has
0: to be a little bit of balance with work life, because in the old days everybody was working all the time. But now I find young people are, you know, working to live, yes. not living yes. to work. Right. So, do you have anything you'd like to plug other than the cooking show? Any books coming up? Any collabs
1: or any parting words to pass on the power? Yes, I'm writing a book this year. It was actually really delayed. I'm still really thinking much about the content of it. I've written something that is about them some, but now I think I want to really push the boundary to push myself to give back to society kind of what I've learned from the Japanese in terms of pastry. So I kind of want to write that book and also tell my stories and give the recipes. So that's one thing that's coming up. And, uh, the new tv shows i was meant to shoot a six-part episode in japan this year but it's not happening so we'll see about that 2022 maybe i hope so yeah yeah so a lot of changes uh, my focus right now is really about what the people want you know and then things are changing so fast so i really got to get onto that and, and put my focus on that we love your chocolates we love your desserts thank you thank for you. being
0: here i appreciate your time
1: thank you very much
0: Hey guys, your time is precious, and I'm so pleased and grateful you've joined my Pass the Power podcast. I'm new at this, so please help me grow these conversations of hope by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and click the follow button on Spotify. From Spotify, please share my podcast onto your Instagram stories. Don't forget to follow me on Insta at I am Paige Parker. Catch me on the next episode as we pass the power.